0: It seems like a good collaboration at the moment between TV or um, internet uh, companies with uh, films with with the the film industry. Um, So, um, and there are of course some people who are naysayers. So, what would you think? um, Will we need to at some point redefine perhaps what is cinema?
1: Well, um, you're looking at me. Um.
0: I did not count on having a co-host today, but I, I have one. I don't know if you can hear him. That's the cricket that has taken up residence in the office here. Apparently, only male crickets chirp. According to the internet, in an effort to discover female mates, they use their courting sound mostly during the daytime. In safe places when a female is near, in hope she is inspired to mate with them. So he he's just looking for love. So I can't. I mean, I couldn't find him if I tried. But I can't. I'm not gonna go and like, shut him up. He's he's doing his he's doing important work for his his life. This is gonna be a ramble, pure and simple. I'm gonna try not to do 16 million takes of this. Um, I got really good feedback on the last episode. A couple of people said they really liked it, which just made me so, so happy. But not everybody was happy.
1: I uh, finished the episode uh, with that person that you interviewed about the Instagram poetry. Uh, I haven't done Slea Ricketts yet, uh, but uh, I think my qualm with your Instagram poetry episode is that your your collective response reminds me of that of Martin Scorsese in response to uh, like Marvel movies and Martin came out and said they're not movies they're attraction rides and they're not true cinema and it's not the way it used to be and that's what it sounds like to me that that it sounds like Instagram like it, it, that's where again when I first approached this I was like what is poetry like let's let's define some boundary here and I guess I, I trusted you. I trusted you, Alice. Uh, but it, it basically, is, you're defining. You're you're putting you're putting your stakes of of this boundary here, on the inside of Instagram poetry and saying that's not real. But I, I mean, like the internet's like infinite. Like it's of course people are going to find ways to do stuff. And and if poetry is just words that make people feel, then Instagram poetry is a hundred percent poetry. Like if we accept that as a definition, it's just that's not traditional. Um, and it may not confine, you know, might not uh, work towards certain traditional forms or use traditional conventions, but that doesn't mean that it's not valid forms of writing, right? Like, and yes, it does come with, uh, you know, uh, certain visual element, sure, but so do, like, tabs on a page or, and I'm guaranteeing you, and you've even mentioned, like, poetry books that are coupled with, with, with you know, image or what about poems that are video poems? Like, I think it's just an exploration and... I I think there is more truth to the Harry Potter, you know, um, pathway. Sure, it might be some people go, this is poetry is, and I'm totally ignorant, and I'm going to send Alice a book of poetry that she won't enjoy because it's not, uh, uh, what what type of poetry she enjoys. But there's probably going to be a subset of young people who kind of go, well, this is lovely. Is there more of this? Or, I kind of like it, but isn't there a bit where there's more words? Or, how can I do this university, or whatever, that are going to fall into, um... Uh, more traditional um, uh, alleyways and uh, pathways in the in the poetry world. So, yeah, I, I feel like it's just um, an, not exclusionary, but, yeah, it's just interesting that it kind of reminds me about um, how you approached uh, spoken word, um, which it, I should have realised in that early sta- stage. And I guess because also as someone who's a... Uh, no, knew nothing about poetry coming to you. I kind of treated uh, you and your podcast uh, probably unfairly as like a compendium of all knowledge, the, the font of truth, an encyclopedic reference for, for what poetry is. Um, and I should have realised that when you're like, oh, well, s- spoken word poetry, no, nah, no, nah, that's not really, that's not a thing. But Toby totally is a thing. Like, and, yeah, I guess, but I th- I don't, this is not criticising you or anything, it's, it's really just, me realizing that you have preferences, which of course you do. Everyone has preferences. Um, But that's not, like, vocalized. Not that it should be, right? Like... If you go to, like, a specific movie critic and then you realise over time that they're really into sci-fi movies, that'll come across in what they're talking about and how they um, uh, respond to and, and, and cover different films. Um, but for you, I guess you've got certain preferences that, that aren't, like, on the box but come about from actually listening and understanding. But as someone who doesn't actually know the scope of what can be talked about, only now that you are covering some of these other topics, I'm realising that, that, yeah, you, you do have certain preferences for what you prefer to talk about. Yeah, this is more just a, um, a general realisation uh, for for my uh, poetry listening at 8.47am.
0: So that's Kay, who you've met in a couple of previous episodes. Most recently, the episode in which we took a walk and spoke about Nam Lee's poem, episode 163. He's, he makes some really good points. He makes some really good points. I really like it when people disagree It's very exciting to me that Kay disagrees with me here because that means he's coming up with some preferences of his own. It's also got me thinking about the horrifying possibility that someone somewhere might think of me as some kind of authority on poetry. I can tell you the things that I am an authority on. The 1996 Tori Amos album, Boys for Pele, 100% authority on that. I'm an authority on the Nancy Myers movie The Holiday, which came out in 2006. And I am an authority on the headphony award winning podcast, Roderick on the Line. Anything I have to say to you on those topics is unequivocally correct. You must take what I say as the last word. Anything I don't know about those three things is not worth knowing. But poetry? Not so much. <laughs> I am not an authority. Uh, I am a self-educated... Some, I'm somebody groping in the dark and I have done a lot of interviews here and I've done some reading in, in some corners of the poetry world but I, yeah, I, don't, I don't have a degree in this stuff and I would never want to position myself as an authority. I, I, for myself, I can't actually think of anything worse but there are authorities out there for sure there's people that you could go to who would who would tell you this is poetry this is this is not poetry and yes that is precisely what i did in my conversation with rachel in a very offhand unthinking sort of way and the more i think about it the more i'm pretty sure i was wrong which i will get to i think with any medium that we want to think critically about we have to choose whose voice we're going to listen to. We have to make a call. But it's really hard to know, right? Like, whose opinion should you pay attention to? And how do you know what their preferences are? Way back in episode 118, I got to talk with Alison Whitaker. I'm really, really proud of that interview. And part of the research for that was I ended up reading this, this review that Alison wrote about a book called The Colonial Fantasy, Why White Australia Can't Solve Black Problems. It's a book by a writer called Sarah Madison. This review was published in the Sydney Review of Books. And I think about this review all the time because to me, it is the perfect example of what critical writing could be like if we were properly honest about our preferences. Basically, Alison explains right up top why she feels really uncomfortable with this book, what her position is personally in reading it, and how she's been avoiding reading it. In fact, she admits in the fourth paragraph that the review was due four months back and she still hasn't done it. This little part of the introduction, she says, whether I took the book to a lounge, or to an office, to a park, or to a food court, I was uncomfortable. I know that a gut feeling is not a review, and especially not in a time when the non-specific quote-unquote problematic takes us nowhere, except to signal the pretense of critiquing power. I'm uncomfortable. It's an inadequate and juvenile thing to say about a book, more a vanity of the reader than anything else. But it's where we start. I read this whole review. I basically never do that. I just, I'm such a skimmer when it comes to online stuff and yeah, reviews just, they really throw me a lot of the time. But I read this whole thing because I was bought in at the start because I knew exactly where Alison's preferences lay. And yeah, I don't do a good job on here of talking about that. A lot of that is because my preferences are shifting all the time because I'm learning all the time. I'm changing my mind all the time. Almost every time I prepare for and do an interview, something in my thinking shifts, which is why I always say I would make this show even if nobody listened. Although I am very grateful that a lot of people listen, which is just blows my mind all the time. But yeah, I think I'd probably still just make it because I learn so much. And I guess that's the... Um, That's the downside of recording your thoughts uh, once a week or so is that, yeah, you're going to be wrong. You're going to be wrong all the time and it's right there in the internet, in your voice. It's all laid down. It's all on tape. Just jumping off that, that thought about Alison's review, anthologies are another really good example of how this functions. I used to look at Black Ink's Best Australian Poems as the guidebook to Australian poetry. I think I've said this before, but I used to skip to the bios, look at where everybody had been published, use that as my plan for how I was going to try to create a publication record. And, you know, I would look at the poems and think, okay, well, this is this is what people want. This is what people think is good. So I guess I guess I'll emulate that. That series doesn't exist anymore. And now I don't know if a replacement came along, how much I would trust it. I guess I have an advantage now, though, of having spoken to enough people with enough different opinions and different preferences that I kind of I have my own sense of whose takes I trust. But yeah, I'm I'm still learning all the time. I spoke to Matthew Slee Ricketts last week. We were talking about this question again of are there bad poems? Are there bad poets? Is that a classification that we can use? And we were talking about some recent poems in The New Yorker. And Matthew kind of took me to task about looking to The New Yorker as a guide for what's happening in poetry in the US. I just blindly assumed that that was a pretty good representation i would have thought that was a pretty safe bet right but apparently not and i'm really really lucky that a really kind listener to the show who's also the editor of another poetry journal over in the u.s is going to send me some issues of that uh, which is great i really am excited to get another view because you do we all need a bit of direction poetry is so vast You do need somebody to take you by the hand sometimes, especially if you are just flying blind like I am. So as usual, I think I'm trying to have it both ways. I think a lot of what I'm trying to do here is to take you by the hand and show you what I know about this house of poetry, but also to admit that there's a whole bunch of rooms I've never been into. I'm not really sure what's in there and whatever's behind the door might completely change um, my understanding of, of everything the whole the whole floor plan is is um, could be completely different. Just to change tack slightly here or to look at this from another angle another listener who also seemed to really enjoy the episode last week asked me if I had any thoughts on viral poems versus insta poems. So we're talking there about you know, poems that get shared a lot via Twitter and Facebook, poems that get a lot of attention in a short space of time online. And he reminded me in particular about this poem called Good Bones that was published in, I think, 2016 or maybe a little bit before that by an American poet called Maggie Smith. My memory of that poem was that it went viral at the time of the 2016 U.S. election, but when I looked it up again, I realised that it actually took off quite a few months before that. It went viral after the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, where 49 people were killed and 53 were injured. I remember being so deeply affected by that news. I remember where I was when I heard about it. I ended up making an episode about it. And talking about a different poem by a poet called Loma, a poem called All the Dead Boys Look Like Me. That poem is quite a bit longer than Good Bones. It's written specifically for Orlando. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really affecting still. I read it again this morning and I think it it's still pretty pretty bloody good. It starts out, last time I saw myself die is when police killed Jesse Hernandez, a 17-year-old brown queer who was sleeping in their car. Yesterday, I saw myself die again. 50 times I died in Orlando. And I remember reading Dr. Jose Esteban Munoz before he passed. I was studying at NYU where he was teaching, where he wrote shit that made me feel like a queer brown survival was possible. Sounds a bit like that Neil Young song, you know, Four Dead in Ohio. Oh God, am I, am I for or against Spotify here? I'm mentioning Neil Young. What am I doing? I'm not getting into any of that. So that's a very direct, specific poem. That from memory, I'm not sure if if I can describe its uh, its reception as as viral. I'm not sure how I came across it, but I don't think it was because it was having the same kind of attention that Good Bones was having at the time. Good Bones is a much more straightforward poem. And look, I know you probably know it. I know you probably hate it or are sick of it. But to try to unpack this, this very casually stated thing that I said last episode about how Insta-poetry is not poetry, I'm going to need some help from Good Bones. So I'm going to read it now. Good Bones by Maggie Smith. Life is short, though I keep this from my children. Life is short and I've shortened mine in a thousand delicious, ill-advised ways. A thousand deliciously ill-advised ways I'll keep from my children. The world is at least 50% terrible. And that's a conservative estimate, though I keep this from my children. For every bird, there is a stone thrown at a bird. For every loved child, a child broken, bagged, sunk in a lake. Life is short, and the world is at least half terrible. And for every kind stranger, there is one who would break you. Though I keep this from my children. I'm trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor, walking you through a real shithole, chirps on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. I didn't realise the chirping, and then there's chirping in the poem. Cool, okay, good. I had a bunch of different responses to that poem in its moment of being in the, the white hot spotlight of, of Twitter virality. I can't overstate how much the question of whether or not to have children was playing on my mind when I first came across that poem I never stopped thinking about it when I was awake that question was there with me like some kind of incessant horrible thing on my shoulder just like what are you going to do what are you going to do you're going to have kids or not you're going to have kids or not the poem didn't help me. <laughs> it didn't help me at all <laughs> in my in my thinking. Uh, I'll say I did not have children because I believe the world is at least fifty percent terrible because of the way I am and the way that I think of myself as, you know, not not too mainstream and and able to to think outside of of what I am told to think. The fact that this poem was so popular made me dislike it more than I would have if I'd just come across it in the journal that it was first published in. In fact, I'm pretty sure that if I just came across this poem in the real, just out in the world on its own, I would have thought, that's great. I can't really point to anything particularly wrong with it, except... The only the only line that kind of um, grates on me is the one about "for every loved child, a child broken, bagged, sunk in a lake." I I think that's taking it a bit far. But apart from that, I think I think it makes some good moves. I think it does what it sets out to do, and does it well. By Roger Ebert standards, it achieves the goal it set out to. So yeah, to it's a, it's a three star poem from me. But the fact that it was under the, the spotlight, the, the weight of that viral exposure, is really, it's too much for anything to bear besides maybe um, a meme, you know. <laughs> Memes are, they can resist anything because they're, they're so tiny. But yeah, a poem, a poem trotted out as a response to nearly 50 people being gunned down in a nightclub for no reason. I don't know that that's work poetry should be doing. I don't know. And then what are we really saying then when we, when we bring this poem out in response to that event? We're saying, I'm not sure I should have had children. The world seems too awful to bring them up in. I think I've made a mistake, but I have to keep believing in goodness for their sake. The thing that makes me a bit uncomfortable about all that is it has nothing to do with the experience of the people who died, right? Like, that's about you. That's about your guilt. And then you go back to all the dead boys look like me. But he didn't survive and now on the dance floor in the restroom on the news in my chest there are another 50 bodies that look like mine and are dead but maggie smith didn't write that poem after orlando she wrote that poem after whatever horrible things she was encountering around the time she was writing the poem the things that were making her think how am i going to explain this to my kids so back to the original question that this, this listener asked me to reflect on, this difference between insta-poetry and, and viral poetry. I guess viral poems generally don't ask to go viral. Insta-poetry wants you to hit like and, and to comment and to subscribe, to follow. The more focus it gets, the better. Poems that go viral I think they're probably going to crumble under the weight of it. And I think Maggie Smith... Um, and I read some interviews with her after after the poem got so popular and she, she sounded very gracious and very happy about it. Uh, I wonder how she feels about it now. If anyone knows Maggie Smith and can put me in touch, I'd love to talk to her about it. So I'm way off track here now. None of this is addressing Kay's concern at all about the fact that I I drew this line, I put this boundary in place where I was like, this is poetry, this isn't. And I tried to think it through, I tried to think about, okay, well, what is it that I want something to do in order to be a poem? But the minute I came up with something, I thought about an example of a poem that, that totally broke that rule that I really liked or at least that I counted as poetry, initially I thought, okay, well, it's it's really important that a poem be more than a few lines long. Like, by which I mean more than just, not like a haiku, you know, obviously that's a particular form, but more than just something that sounds like, more than something that you could find on a deck of cards with like affirmations on them or something. But then I thought about one of my favourite poets, Sid Corman, and about my favourite poem of his, or or one of them. It all comes down and back to this, but what in hell this is remains a mystery. Sounds a bit like an Insta poem. (laughs) But then I thought, okay, no. The real problem is that all these Insta poets... What they're doing is they're just publishing their first drafts. There's been no revision here. It just, it feels like a first thought, best thought thing. And then I thought about, you know, the, uh, the, the queen of, of first thought, best thought, Jack Kerouac. And I thought about the time when I actually borrowed a collection of Kerouac's poetry from the library, thinking, okay, I better get familiar with this stuff. Oh my God, that shit sucks. It's so bad. But it is poetry. Let me see if I can find some. Oh man, this is so brutal. Okay, this is from Bowery Blues. For no church told me, no guru holds me, no advice, just stone of New York. And on the cafeteria, we hear the saxophone. Oh, dead Ruby, died of shot in 32, sounding like old times and debombed bombed Empty, decapitated, murder by the clock. What the fuck? (laughs) This is so annoying. Oh my god, he's so annoying. But like, yeah, it's... this This is poetry. This is definitely poetry. Can't say that it isn't. The last thing I came up with, my last gasp attempt to delineate between yes, it's poetry, and and no, it's not poetry, is, I thought, maybe it just has to be that it's more than surface, because so much of of Insta-poetry is, it's all served up to you, it's right there, there's no need for you to think hard at all about what the poet is saying, they're just saying it, but Good Bones is exactly that, she's telling you exactly what she's doing, and it's all right there, it's served up for you, and it's very clear, it's a poem. So I think I might have just talked my way out of my conclusion, and I think I have to admit now that Insta-poetry is poetry. You win this round, Kay. <laughs> and... Look, hey, if, if, you, if, you, uh, if you can help me with this, if you can help me unpack this a little better and and help me defend this boundary, then please let me know because I think I need a bit of a hand with this one. You can get in touch with me anytime at Poetry underscore says on Twitter, Poetry says pod at gmail.com. I love hearing from people who are listening. In the meantime, from me and my chirpy little co-host, Thanks so much for listening. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I just thought it was silly. And, and technically, it really is. I mean, you say it's rough. I mean, it's very rough. very. How rough.
0: many stars are you going to give this?
1: I'll give it one and a half.
0: Oh, David. Oh, oh you really have started off not meanly. I'm giving it four stars. My son's first appearance. Ah. Do you reckon he'll get off? Oh, no, no, he's a
1: uh, he's appearing for the first time as a barrister. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, Darryl Kerrigan. Oh, Lawrence oh. Good
0: night, Lawrence. Barrister, eh? He'd need a degree for that.